Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult. Number 14, Debbie, what is it? You're getting there. I'm patient tonight. I'll wait for you. Yeah, give up for Debbie, man. Perseverance pays off. Witchcraft and the rise of Wicca is where we're at tonight, as you can see with the nifty graphic there that Chris came up with. Uh, but anyway, what we're doing by way of recap is we've already seen the definition of witchcraft. Now, again, if anybody says Wicca, it's not witchcraft. That's not true. What we saw, the definition is Wicca and craft, the old terms. The actual name Wicca literally translates witch. So how do you say it's not witchcraft? It's doesn't make sense at all. We also saw the types of witches, okay, all different kinds of types, still on today. Location witches worldwide, basically, still to this day. We're going to get into the history tonight, uh, the location of them. And then last time we dealt with the protection of witches, okay? And then what we saw is, unfortunately, uh, God's, uh, the world doesn't listen to God. Shocker. And instead of dealing with witchcraft, uh, if you got some of this stuff coming your way or somebody's trying to put a spell on you or do whatever they do, okay, you should do it God's way. What's God's way? Well, number one, if you're not saved, what do you do? You get saved through Jesus Christ. And when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, that you can never be possessed again by a demon if you were ever possessed uh, in the past. Uh, the Holy Spirit's not going to scooch over and share room with the demon. That's one of the many blessings of being a Christian. But even if uh, he does mess with you, the enemy or witchcraft, witches, whatever, come at you externally, you deal with it in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, right? We saw that last time. Very uh, blunt, very clear in the scripture. Unfortunately, the world doesn't listen to God. And when witchcraft does come their way, not just our way as Christians, okay, they are trying to basically fight the occult with the occult. Okay, and we saw that from different things with amulets, talismans, good luck charms. We saw things like the Nazar uh, and also the sign of the horns to ward off the evil eye. Remember that? Uh, still in, uh, going on today. We saw it's been going on for a long time. We'll probably get this in our history section some other ways, but Romans were doing it with amulets. We even saw the Asians have their own amulets, more with their calligraphy, with the writing that uh, they believe was going to keep them safe. Uh, even modern-day Catholicism uh, and, and Judaism uh, gets involved with it as well. That's the hand of Miriam. Uh, you can see if you've been to Jerusalem, they're all over the place, unfortunately. Uh, Catholics, you're right, you got that holy water because that priest prayed for it. Now it's going to keep the vampires away, right? That's what, well, no, that's not. It's just still water. Okay, but they still get involved in that. We'll get into a little bit more of that tonight as well. And hey, who couldn't forget that four-leaf clover or that rabbit's foot, which apparently wasn't too good for the rabbit. Right, and then of course the mojo bag. You're getting into voodoo and stuff of that nature. And Lord willing, we're going to have whole studies just on that uh, later as well. But tonight, again, what I said is we're going to now finally get into the history. Where did all this come from? How did it get started? How in the world did it get permeated across the planet? Well, shocker, uh, it agrees with the biblical account. Okay, basically, here's what we're going to see. Uh, basically, you had the beginning over here. Adam and Eve they rebelled, and then because of their rebellion, okay, what happened? God judged the planet, sent a flood. Now, rough estimates here, right? The flood was about 2400 BC, about 4400 years ago. Okay, the biblical timeline, right? Now, after that, you had the, basically the first uh, society that popped on the scene, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, okay? And basically what's crazy is about, that's about 2200 BC, the founding of Babylon, okay? History would say that's about 200 years after the flood. So Noah and his family get off the boat, Within about 200 years, it's starting to get a pretty big population again, which is what God told them to repopulate. But what do we see? Only 200 years after God judged the whole planet, they're rebelling against God again, okay? And, and, and so that's what we're seeing here. And that's what we're gonna see. This witchcraft comes from here, right? So God confused the languages at Babel, 
for the rebellion. And what happened? We'll see this probably next week, Lord willing. And that he, he spread out the nations. Well, when he spread out the nations, then it goes from Babylon, it goes to Egypt and Greece, the Roman society, of course, then the Orientals over there and things of that nature. We'll get into that. But guess what went with them? All the stuff that started at Babylon, including we're gonna see proof, witchcraft. Okay, nothing new under the sun. Anybody that wants to come up to you and say, basically, oh, witchcraft is a new thing. We've only been doing it since the days of Salem or, or just it came over from Europe. And all this sewer pipe of occult stuff, including witchcraft, and it's, it's the occult period, came out of Babylon. Now, what we're gonna see, the biblical history, shocker, you have this next event that I'm gonna record for you, and this is 1400 BC. So 1,000 years after the flood, okay, God is saying, warnings to his people when you go into these nations don't get involved in their occult practices well where do those occult practices came from they came from here as they dispersed across the nations so, so you got the timeline right so let's take a look at god's warning to his people when they get into the land that he's given to them i.e the jewish people's the context don't get involved in witchcraft okay it's already been there so let's take a look at that. deuteronomy 18 is our text tonight Deuteronomy 18, God does not mince words, right? You don't have to say, well, I wonder what he was talking about here. What is, what is God's feelings on the occult and witchcraft? And is that, no, he, he does not uh, uh, pull punches. Uh, he, and, and he just, he says it what it is. Very strong words, and we'll get to that in the Hebrew in a second. But let's take a look. 1,000 years after the flood, here comes a reminder from God, don't get involved in witchcraft that unfortunately, if you can believe it, has already permeated the planet again. Mankind's rebelling. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, let's take a look at verse 9. We'll read through 13. Here's what it says. When you enter the land the Lord your God has given you, okay, the Jewish people, do not what? Do not learn to imitate the what? Detestable, key word there. He's gonna say it three times in just a few verses. Detestable ways of the nations there. Well, how did they get detestable? Well, where did it all come from? came from Babylon we'll see that tonight let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire who practices what divination or sorcery interprets omens engages in witchcraft or casts spells or who's a medium or a spiritist or who consults with the dead anyone who does these things is what detestable to the Lord okay and because of these what detestable practices uh, 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 the Lord your God will drive out the nations before you but you the Israelites you must be blameless before the Lord your God now just to give you a little flavor what's going on there again God does not mince words the word there in the Hebrew for detestable that he uses three times in just a few verses and by the way what's the biblical rule anytime that God repeats something he's really trying to get your attention so three times dealing obviously with witchcraft occult practices God used the word detestable 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 it's the Hebrew word toabah and it means a disgusting thing something that is an abomination it's abominable it's a wicked horrible behavior so is there any uh, uh, doubt as to how God feels about witchcraft and cold? No, it is. Detestable is a very good word. It's disgusting. It's an abomination to him. But again, this is what we're going to see. The sad news is, believe it or not, only 200 years after the flood, mankind was already rebelling against God. And what we're going to see tonight is it, the, the historical evidence, it wasn't just that they rebelled. They wanted to build a tower and make a name for themselves. There was a lot more going on in rebellion in Babylon. And believe it or not, it has everything to do with witchcraft, the occult. This society in the rebellion, yeah, they wanted to build a tower, but they are steeped in witchcraft so that when God judged them at Genesis 11 and caused them to disperse, then witchcraft and the occult began to permeate the planet. So then here at this event in Deuteronomy, God says, it's already there in the nations I give you. Don't worry. 
follow me, do what I say, I'll take care of that, I'll clean it up. But did Israel listen? No, they didn't do what God said, and so they got involved in these kind of practices as well, and that led to their judgment as well, okay? But let's take a look at this first one, Babylon, okay? And before we get to that, though, let's take a look at how God feels about witchcraft beyond Deuteronomy 18. And again, he doesn't mince words, so I just want to make clear, because we're not even there yet. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but the church is so apostatize even when it comes to occult issues they're not just engaged in occult practices we saw some of that in our charismatic study and they don't even realize it or they don't want to admit it but now you have a trend going on where they said it's okay to be a christian and a witch at the same time christian witches i'm not making that up but it's like what bible are you reading god this is just one verse we saw he's very clear this is detestable don't do this okay but let's take a look at that what does the Bible say about witchcraft and witches? Should a Christian fear witchcraft? The Bible has a lot to say about witchcraft. Witchcraft and its many cousins, such as fortune-telling and necromancy, are Satan's counterfeits to holy spirituality. The Bible expressly condemns all forms of witchcraft. Since early times, people have sought supernatural experiences God did not endorse. The nations that surrounded the promised land were saturated with such practices, and God had stern words for his people concerning any involvement with them. Deuteronomy 18, 9-12 says, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults with the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. God takes witchcraft very seriously. The penalty for practicing witchcraft under the Mosaic law was death. 1 Chronicles 10.13 tells us that Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance. In the New Testament, sorcery is translated from the Greek word pharmakia, from which we get our word pharmacy. Witchcraft and spiritism often involve the ritualistic use of magic potions and mind-controlling drugs. Using illicit drugs can open ourselves up to the invasion of demonic spirits. Engaging in a practice or taking a substance to achieve an altered state of consciousness is a form of witchcraft. There are only two sources of spiritual power, God and Satan. Satan has only the power that God allows him to have, but it is considerable. To seek spirituality, knowledge, or power apart from God is idolatry, closely related to witchcraft. 1 Samuel 15.23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Witchcraft is Satan's realm, and he excels in counterfeiting what God does. When Moses performed miracles before Pharaoh, the magicians did the same things through demonic power. At the heart of witchcraft is the desire to know the future and control events that are not ours to control. Those abilities belong only to the Lord. This desire has its roots in Satan's first temptation to Eve. You can be like God. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan's major focus has been to divert human hearts away from the worship of the true God. He entices humans with the suggestions of power, self-realization, and spiritual enlightenment apart from submission to the Lord God. Witchcraft is merely another branch of that enticement. 
To become involved in witchcraft in any way is to enter Satan's realm. Seemingly harmless, modern entanglements with witchcraft can include horoscopes, Ouija boards, Eastern meditation rituals, and some video and role-playing games. Any practice that dabbles in a power source other than the Lord Jesus Christ is witchcraft. Revelation 22.15 includes witches in the list of those who will not inherit eternal life. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. We don't need to fear Satan's power, but we should respect it and stay away from it. 1 John 4.4 says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Satan can create much havoc, harm, and destruction even in the lives of believers. However, if we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no power that can ultimately defeat us. We are overcomers, as we put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. When we give our lives to Christ, we must repent. This repentance should include renouncing any involvement with witchcraft, following the example of the early believers in Acts 19.19. Isaiah 8.19 says, When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists, who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? When we follow those words to their logical conclusion, we could ask, why seek any power apart from the source of all real power? Why seek spirits who are not the Holy Spirit? Witchcraft and its many counterparts promise spirituality, but lead only to emptiness and death. Only Jesus has the words of life. Amen. Pretty blunt though, right? I just want to give you kind of a quick overview. How does God feel about it? It's not just in Deuteronomy. That's just the Old Testament. That's, you know, that's the old covenant that doesn't apply today. We're more liberal. No, we're not. Old Testament, New Testament, God's got very strong words about witchcraft. And so my point is, man, this, but speaking of Deuteronomy, that was 1400 year BC. I mean, you, you think that, man, that's been around for a long time. And people, and it's a very blunt text. Even that's the only one you ever came across of. Everybody's listen to what God says. Don't get involved in this stuff, right? wrong it's permeating the planet on a massive scale and again we're going to see why because in history the first area that it started again was babylon and that's the uh, furthest we're going to get as far as history tonight and hopefully we can get that but witchcraft or witchery is the practice of magical skills uh historically it's in cultures worldwide and again we're going to see that in babylon there's all kinds of cuneiform tablets what's that that's a fancy word for the tablets where they had used a pressed clay yeah, this was pre-cell phones, kids. And that's how they recorded stuff. Didn't have paper and stuff, but they did that in the marks. And so anyway, so they find tons of these tablets all over the place. And guess what's all over the tablets? Believe it or not, witchcraft, occult practices. We'll get into that tonight, okay? But we're gonna see and eventually take a journey around the world, Africa, the Caribbean, North and South America, Asia, India, Nepal, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Iraq, Europe, the United Kingdom, Italy, Spain, the island nations, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Russia, you name it. Basically, the cult and witchcraft as we saw before in our location uh, study uh, is throughout recorded history. But what we want to see in this history section is where did it all begin? How in the world did man get into this and how did it get across the world? Again, we're going to see clearly, and it agrees with this biblical account, Babylon. Again, and that's important too because sometimes people will come up to you, well, this, this, I don't, you know, witchcraft, it's kind of a new thing. And it's, no, it's not. No, it's not. All occult practices, witchcraft included, came from this sewer pipe. Okay, and we're going to see it permeate the planet. All right, now let's go, let's go into Babylon. The belief in sorcery and witchcraft was widespread 
in Babylon. And of course, we see that again in the cuneiform tablets. It's all over the place. Uh, in fact, uh, they were not only so steeped into the occult and witchcraft. And, and again, what time frame are we talking about? 2200 BC, right? 200 years after the flood, they were already in this level of rebellion. Not just building a tower, but in this kind of stuff. No wonder God said, that's it. And spread them out. Okay. Uh, but they were so steeped in witchcraft that it's just like today. Some people want to say, well, there's white magic and black magic. And I use white magic to defeat the black. Ma-. No, it's. Do you want me to use the analogy again? You know where I'm going. Right? Baked chicken, fried chicken. Doesn't matter. It's still chicken. Right? Black witchcraft, white witchcraft. It's still witchcraft. Hello. Right? But that's what they do. And we're going to see that they not only were engaged in witchcraft, but people use witchcraft to fight against witchcraft. Even as far back as Babylon. It's crazy. Okay. Now, one of the ways that we know that is this thing here. This is called the Maklu, if that's the correct pronunciation, uh, which Maklu means in the Babylonian language means burning. And this is a ton of text that they have found with this. That's just one that's pictured there on the left. But this is an incantation uh, text that they've discovered uh, all about trying to ward off witchcraft. Again, how far back are we at? This is crazy. This stuff was going on uh, back then. Uh, but they found hundreds of incantations, many different of these tablets, okay, the Maklu, and their directions for a ceremony to fight off witchcraft. Now, what they said is, uh, according to the writings, when they translate them. Uh, it was performed over the course of a single night or a month, typically July and August, when they believed that the spirits from the netherworld were more susceptible uh, to their spells, right? Uh, they also divided the incantations into three different sequences, during the first of which figurines of the sorcerer were burned, then they were drowned in black liquid, and finally placed face down on the ground and crushed while the first four tablets were recited. Now, I'm not going to give you all the recitation, but I'll give you a, a translated of the actual recitation they would do to fight witchcraft, and you can't tell me this is what they were using it for. And I quote, direct quote, burn, set alight, incinerate my witch. May my warlocks and witch's life swiftly, quickly come to an end. So they were so steeped in witchcraft that they were trying to use witchcraft to protect themselves from the witches. Again, 200, only 200 years after God judged the whole planet and said, that's it, I'm starting over with eight people and the animals on the boat. And you're, what? You would think that would get your attention. So again, it opens your eyes to the Tower of Babel, what's going on there. It wasn't just, oh, they got they rebelled and built a tower. Lots more rebellion going on when you look at the historical account. Uh, and it's very, very sad. Now, another sequence in these, uh, again, what we're dealing with, the, the Maklu, the ritual book to fight off those witches from Babylon. They say, may their spells be peeled away like, here's your key word here, garlic. Garlic will keep the occult away. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Where did it all come from? Nothing new under the sun, man. Babylon. Okay, we're going to see vampires came from Babylon too, and uh, hopefully in a little bit. Now, another interesting thing, they, w- they would invoke the god Nusku, okay? And apparently Nusku was the, quote, uh, the, the god of, of light or what have you, but uh, of light and fire. And you would invoke the god of Nus- Nusku to provide a protective nightlight, right? And that the nightlight would keep the evil from approaching you. So I don't have a direct correlation, but is that where we get into having a nightlight because uh, we're at the dark. I don't know. 
So, but that's kind of interesting as well. Now, there's all kinds of evidence of witchcraft, the occult in Babylon. Again, this is where it all started, spread across the world. Uh, tablets, uh, the whole world of witches, sorcerers, exorcisms, uh, various occult practices, and we're going to get into that uh, tonight. They, it's very sophisticated. Uh, they combined basically a cult with their religion. It was kind of mishmash of the two, kind of all squeezed all together. Uh, but you could see this again in their tablets, and we have tons of evidence. We also see this in their laws. Now, if you guys are familiar with Babylon's history, you probably have come across the Code of Hammurabi. Remember that? Sure, Pastor, really? Thank you, June, for your history buff uh, there as well. But basically, the Code of Hammurabi was the Babylonian law, right? And a lot of it was based on eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Okay, if you're familiar with that. But even in the Code of Hammurabi, the Babylonian law, they had punishment for witches. So again, this tells you how deep they went. And let me read to you one of them. If a man has put a spell on another man and it is not justified, he upon whom the spell is laid shall go to the holy river, into the holy river shall he plunge. If the holy river overcome him and he is drowned, the man who put the spell on him shall take possession of his house. If the holy river declares him innocent and he remains unharmed, the man who laid the spell shall be put to death. He that plunged into the river shall take possession of the house who laid the spell on him. So again, they're so steeped in witchcraft at this point, they're not only trying to use witchcraft to fight witchcraft, but they got laws against witches and you can't do it. It's crazy. In just 200 years after the flood, roughly, right? Now, let me give you some other evidence right there. This one here is called the Gula incantation, right? And I'm sure you guys can decipher that. Yeah, it looks like somebody threw a bunch of 100 chickens on top there and scratched with their feet. But hey, believe it or not, it is a writing. Okay, and, uh, but anyway, uh, this is the Gula, and this is on this tablet, as they deciphered it, this tablet asked Gula, what's a Gula? Gula, it, what they believe was the goddess of healing. It asked Gula and Marduk. Now, if you're familiar with Babylon history, Marduk was what they believed the king of the gods. Okay, but this tablet's asking Gula and Marduk to help cure a patient who's thought to have been attacked by a ghost. Okay, now again, w- This tells you, again, the permeation of the occult practices because we don't have everything of their civilization because it's been long destroyed, right? But we have so many tablets left over, a high percentage of them are dealing with, guess what? Witchcraft. So again, that tells you, man, it's just crazy when you take a look at it. Let me give you another one. This is a fragment of a Babylonian talisman, okay, that you apparently wore, as we saw last time. It's supposed to ward off evil. This is way, going on way back then too. Nothing new in the sun. And if you wore this, it was supposed to exercise the sick because they thought that that was the demons and the spirits or witches doing stuff to you and you need to do that. This one is kind of interesting. Uh, as you can tell, this is where my artwork is inspired. And uh, apparently I'm into the Babylonian style, right? And Oh, you doubt? Look at that. Nifty looking. I don't know whose nose that is, but we won't go there. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is actually a, a ceramic incantation bowl, right? And so this is a bowl that they would have, and uh, the, the incantation is actually written inside of it, and that's used for protection purses, uh, purposes as well, and things of that nature. So we find kinds of all kinds of things. In fact, they even had different classes of witches or magicians and things that people involved in the occult. Uh, there were professional magicians, in Babylon, there were, uh, and they would specialize in a particular field of uh, magic, witchcraft. Uh, they would also have specialists who would be uh, just involved in divinations. Others were just professional exorcists. So it's like a doctor. Okay, this guy, he specializes in ear, nose, and throat. This guy's in brain surgery. Well, that's how permeated this is. They had specialized professional witches, and we see that in their account. Now, let me give you another one, and this is called the Apkula. It's another thing that we find. And this is more of a figurine. 
that they have. And Apkula basically was a demigod, uh, demigod because it's part man, part God. They, they, this was a part man, part fish. Uh, it was a male, and uh, you may not be able to tell in that figuring there. It's a little bit damaged, but it had a fish skin hood, okay? And so it was a man with a fish skin hat thing that's going on there. And what they would do is the practitioners of magic is they would take figurines like this that depicted gods or certain entities and things of that nature, and they would do things with these figurines to protect them or uh, uh, give them good luck or health and things of that nature. Uh, this particular one, the practitioners of magic protected interior spaces of buildings by depositing figurines beneath the room's floor. And somehow that figurine was going to take care of you and protect you. Now, you might know where I'm going with this. Does that sound like anybody today? Heavy-duty Catholicism is exactly what that sounds like. I'm not going to revisit our whole study, but if you recall, in our 12-week study on Catholicism, they are huge on figurines. Dead people, saints. They got a saint for everything. Oh, that, they don't really believe that today. Really? Let me give you a quick example. They're still selling figurines of saints. And what I found interesting, this one is what? You bury it under the floor? Well, if you get a certain saint and you bury it in your front yard, you'll sell your house. Watch this. Hi there, I'm Susan with The Catholic Company, and this is the St. Joseph Home Sale Kit. This St. Joseph Home Sale Kit includes a plastic St. Joseph figure, a prayer to St. Joseph, the way of St. Joseph, and an introduction to St. Joseph Home Sale practice. There are many myths about where and how to bury St. Joseph, but none of that is of importance. What is important is that St. Joseph has long been called upon to help us with our many good petitions, including selling a home. If you are trying to sell your home, we believe the St. Joseph Home Sale Kit provides a great opportunity for one to become more familiar with the role of St. Joseph. Still going on today for 1995, that's right. Uh, But guess what? It's nothing new under the sun because the Babylonians did the same thing with witchcraft. Very very interesting. Now, I don't have time to go through it, but if, if you guys uh, d- don't believe me on, on that, let me give you just a, a, a refresher on some of the saints and what today, still today, this is their list, not mine, and, and I'm just going to blow through them. So if I'm speaking so fast, I'm not speaking in tongues. Okay, I'm just blowing through this. Don't accuse me of that. Uh, but St. Adrian, this is from them. St. Adrian, and, you know, if you get a figurine, have it in your house, bury it, do whatever. Have, oh, if you've got a priest that comes by and blesses it, woo, superpower, right? And again, this is all current stuff they still do today, right? St. Adrian will help you if you're a butcher, a guard, a soldier, or an arms dealer. I'm not making that up. St. Agatha for bakers, bell making, or nurses. St. Alexander for charcoal burners. St. Amon for bartenders, brewers, innkeepers, merchants, and vine growers. St. Ambrose handles beekeepers, beggars, candle makers, wax smelters, and refiners. St. Anastasia deals with weavers, healers, martyrs, and exorcists. St. Andrew, fishermen, of course. Doesn't that make sense? Right? Uh, and St. Anne is for miners, mothers, equestrians, cabinet makers, homemakers, stablemen, and I'm not making this up, French Canadian voyagers. So if you're in some other country, you're out of luck. You gotta be in Canada. St. Anthony is if you misplaced an item, lost a person or a woman seeking a husband. St. Antipas and St. Apollyana are both for dentists. St. Barbara for military engineers, firemen, Italian Marines, fireworks makers, and I am not making this up, quote, servicemen of the Russian Strategic Rocket Forces. 
1999. <laughs> what a racket. This is crazy. St. Bar- Bartholomew is handy for tanners, trappers, and curiers, and even one, pay attention, Vegas, unemployed gamblers. St. Cajetan, C-A-J-E-T-A-N. I'm not making that up either. St. Edwards for kings, St. Elgis for metal workers, jewelers, mechanics, taxi drivers. Pyrotechnicians have their own St. Erasmus. And just in case you happen to be a Teutonic knight, you can look at St. George. Okay. Oh, and that's just occupations. Same thing. You want protection, you want healing, all that stuff. They got a saint for that too, 1995, right? Uh, You can. Uh, If you're a sterile woman, if you're blind, lame, if you ran into a poisonous reptile, you suffer from colic, breast cancer, or headache, you need to contact St. Agathis. And of course, I'm not condoning that. I'm not saying do that. I'm using sarcasm and humor to make a point. It's unfortunate. St. Agrippina uh, is spread pretty thin because apparently uh, that saint handles uh, uh, evil spirits, leprosy, thunderstorms, bacterial diseases. Uh, St. Albanese, now this one, uh, all I could find is had one function. Uh, St. Albanus, okay, now put this in your back pocket, Jim, in case it ever comes in handy. Or for those of you who like to go on cruises, and I'm not making this up. This is their writing, not mine. Albinus is your personal dedicated 24 hour days, uh, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, saint, in case of a pirate attack. <laughs> Stuff writes itself. They got a saint for riot, civil disorder. Hey, what's going on, right? Uh, uh, epilepsy, gout, toothache, kidnapping, deafness, sore eyes, cattle diseases, chest problems, lung problems, ailments of the throat, horse theft, sick horses, eye disease, childhood illnesses, motorcycle and bicycle accidents, evil spirits, and procrastination. I kid you not. You know what that one is? St. Expeditus. <laughs> Their words, not mine right uh if you got problems with diabetes or cramps or stress relief or even the new year's blues saint pio is supposed to help you out uh there's all kinds of random ones again cough sneezes open wounds you name it uh for if you have obsessive compulsive disorder you would apparently they say pray to saint Ubald. okay and i skipped over a ton of them if you want to get the whole list and even what's going on wrong at a multitude of levels with catholicism get our 12-week study uh, you can watch that online what have you okay but again how, how is that any different folks than that babylon at 200 years after the flood, they're engaged in witchcraft to the point where they take figurines, they take talismans, they keep them with them, they put them in the house, they bury them in the ground, they're supposed to protect you and give you all. How's that any different? It's the same thing. That's why, and this is a huge debate, some would say even the hat that the Pope wears also comes from Babylon. And that certain practices that they are involved in, this is where a lot of it came from, right? Uh, this is actually called that miter hat that the Pope wears, Okay, and the priests back then also wore a hat that was a fish head hat because they worshiped the fish god, Dagon. Okay, and the priests would wear that kind of a hat. And they say, well, gee, that looks awfully similar. But again, is it, and again, there's a debate online. Is it true? Is it not? They say, no, of course not, etc. But if you're going to do that, and that's definitely straight out of Babylon with your figurines, is that much of a stretch as well? Don't know, but that's kind of interesting uh, as well, but let's move on to that. This is a cuneiform tablet. This is uh, has a list of magical stones that you can carry around. Again, what's the point? Is there where's all this sewer pipe of occult stuff, including what we got to deal with today? It all came from here. It all came from Babylon. Okay, and they had an everyday belief in the practices of witchcraft uh, with with all kinds of uh, special magic stones that you could carry with you. Again, back to the figurines. 
The figurines representing, they believe, gods and animals and mystical creatures had been found throughout all kinds of homes in Babylon. They were often kept in hidden areas of the house uh, to protect against demons. And again, that sounds exactly like the figurine worship of Catholicism today. Uh, There's also evidence that they wore certain pendants and that's a whole nother Catholic practice. They wear pendants. It's going to give you good luck and things of that nature. Uh, here is a uh, uh, figurine that they had back. Uh, this is the Lamish too. This was actually a demonic spirit, but they believed that if you wore a emblem of the demonic spirit, then it would protect you from the demonic spirit. It was it's supposed. Their belief was that it's supposed to act like kind of like we saw last time with mirrors. The mirrors of reflection. Okay, they believe that that would reflect it back off of you. So they would wear these things, but that's that particular demon uh, as well. Uh, But basically, Babylon hardly discriminated between religion and magic. Uh, Some would do their witchcraft and magic for religious purposes. Some did it for their own self, uh, their own needs. Uh, Indeed, listen to this direct quote, so closely do the Babylonian incantations and magical practices resemble those of the European sorcerers of the Middle Ages and primitive peoples and present day, quote, that it is difficult to convince oneself that they are of independent origin. What they basically say, it's coming from Babylon. This is where it all started and after the Tower of Babel incident and God dispersed them across the planet, unfortunately, witchcraft went with them and it started to morph into different areas. Uh, They also had uh, uh, major similarities in all kinds of things, uh, including the names of demons that are even called upon today in the occult that came from Babylon. Uh, We we see here names of Beelzebub, Ishtar, Baal, Moloch. Okay, those are originally from Babylon origin. And again, what the guy says, the conclusion is irresistible that ceremonial magic as practiced in the Middle Ages owes it from Babylon okay so we see that now there's also you see Babylon we even see this in the account certainly with Daniel that of course you know they didn't necessarily come straight out and use our word witch okay Uh, they would call them seers right soothsayers some of your biblical accounts might say that these people were wise men right now I want to bring this up and, and, and they call them stargazers right I want to bring this up because uh some people would actually want to try to justify why it's okay to get involved in witchcraft or God doesn't have a problem with witchcraft or astrology and things of that nature because the wise men from the east came and visited baby Jesus. So surely God doesn't have a problem with that. Well, no, God's very blunt as we saw. He doesn't contradict himself. Witchcraft, occult practices is detestable to him. The problem is with that particular text is we get so many things wrong with that, it's not even funny. In fact, how many times have you heard it said that there were three wise men? It doesn't even say that in the Bible. We get all kinds of things wrong in that account, and it certainly is not condoning witchcraft. Let's take a look at that. What does the Bible say about the three wise men, or magi? We assume that there were three wise men because of the three gifts that were given, gold, incense, and myrrh. However, the Bible does not say that there were only three wise men. There could have been many more. Tradition says that there were three and that their names were Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. But since the Bible does not say, we have no way of knowing whether the tradition is accurate. 
It is a common misconception that the wise men visited Jesus at the stable on the night of his birth. In fact, the wise men came days, months, or possibly even years later. That is why Matthew chapter 2 verse 11 says the wise men visited and worshipped Jesus in a house, not at a stable. We know that the Magi were wise men from the east, most likely Persia or modern-day Iran. This means that the wise men traveled 800 to 900 miles to see the Christ child. Most likely, the Magi knew of the writings of the prophet Daniel, who in times past had been the chief of the court seers in Persia. Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27 include a prophecy which gives a timeline for the birth of the Messiah. Also, the Magi may have been aware of the prophecy of Balaam, who was from the town of Pethor on the Euphrates River near Persia. In Numbers chapter 24 verse 17, Balaam's prophecy specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob. The wise men were guided to look for the king of the Jews by miraculous stellar event, the star of Bethlehem, which they called his star in Matthew 2 verse 2. They came to Jerusalem and asked concerning the birth of Christ, and they were directed to Bethlehem. They followed God's guidance joyfully. When they arrived in Bethlehem, they gave costly gifts to Jesus and worshipped him. God warned them in a dream against returning to Herod, so, in defiance of the king, they left Judah by another route. So, the Magi were men who, one, read and believed God's word, two, sought Jesus, three, recognized the worth of Christ, four, humbled themselves to worship Jesus, and five, obeyed God rather than men. They were truly wise men. And so, obviously, when you actually take a look at the text and the context, certainly is not condoning witchcraft, astrology, and things of that nature, okay? Uh, So, I just want to clear that up because some actually try to use that text to do that. But that's witchcraft. I think it's very apparent that Babylon steeped in witchcraft on a massive, massive scale. But what we're going to see now, finishing up the study, it wasn't just witchcraft that they were involved in, okay? Basically, virtually picking a cult topic, entity, it came from there as well. So let's, let's finish it out on that aspect. Uh, there's a deeper gloom, a more ominous spirit in the ancient magic of old Mesopotamia Babylon than in any other land. This is where the sewer pipe began with occult activity. Demons with claw and talon, vampires, ghouls, they're all there. Spirits, jinn, witch hags, lemurs, that's the type of a spirit. We'll get into that, Lord willing, in the Roman uh, history. Uh, ghosts, no, quote, no type of supernatural being appears to have been unknown in Babylon. So this is where the whole sewer pipe of the occult, not just witchcraft, came from, okay? Including uh, not just uh, witches, but wizards, seers. Okay, we're going to get into all kinds of stuff, but let's take a look at the wizards. There were two classes of priests who dealt with the occult in Babylon. One was called the Baru, which was the word for seers. The other one was the Asupu, which was the uh, wizards. The Baru performed divination by consulting the livers of animals, and also by the observation of flight of birds. And this is the ones that the kings would turn to, the wise men, the soothsayers for advice. Should I go attack them? Should I do this? Well, let's cut up the guts of an animal and, you know, the occult practices and let's look at what the birds, you know, and that's supposed to give them a good omen, bad omen, things of that nature. The wizard and the witch were also known as the Kasupu. They were sorcerers or magicians proper. These guys were, quote, considered dangerous to the community. Hence, all the other texts that we find, uh, you got to do this to fight the witches and hope they don't get you and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the Babylonian witch, quote, prowls the streets, searching for victims, snatching love from handsome men, and withering the beautiful women. At another time, they're depicted as sitting in the shade of the wall, making spells and fashioning images. 
Again, all starting in Babylon. Again, not just wizards, seers, soothsayers, all that stuff they call them. But believe it or not, and we're probably going to have whole studies on this later, but I'm just going to give you an overview since we're in this history section. Vampires. You think vampires are something new? It started here. This is nuts, right? Uh, quote, there have been those who want us to believe that vampirism was confined to the Slavonic race alone, the peoples of Russia, Bohemia, and the Balkan Peninsula, and that they're the sole source of this legend. That's where it came from in relative recent history. Not true. Research has exposed this fallacy and uh, because basically uh, Babylon was in possession and practiced every basic known occult technique, including vampirism. Let me give you a couple different examples of the vampires in function that they believed in Babylon. Again, 2200 BC, only 200 years after the flood. This first uh, Babylonian uh, vampire, again, we find him in their remains. This one was called the Ekamu, right? and it has nothing to do with cows, because I know you might have been thinking that. The Ekamu, it's spelled A-E-K-E-K, whatever it is up there. Uh, <laughs> and the word means to be snatched away. They believe these critters would come and snatch you away. Uh, they prayed that, uh, the Babylonians prayed that they themselves would not be turned into one of these uh, vampires, the Ekamu. Uh, they believed that they were a demon-like, phantom-like creature and that uh, searches for victims to feed on its misery uh, they, they, they were a little bit different than what we would consider a vampire today in that the Ekamu does not drink blood, they believed, in order to live. Instead, it fed off the life force of plants, animals, and elements uh, tapping into their life force. <laughs> Suck them dry like that. So that's what they did. And then, then they believed that you could turn into one of these critters, okay, if you died from a violent murder, you died young, you had death from a battle or war, death before finding love, improper burial no burial at all you died during pregnancy you died from drowning you died from uh, starvation improper offering to the gods or if you ate chicken (laughs) no I threw that one in there now it's not in there I can't prove that but it should be but let's just move on Uh, they also said listen to this this is the understatement of the year of Babylonian times if an ekamu were to show up on your doorstep it would not be a good sign (laughs) <laughs> and they believed that within a few days if you had a run-in with one of these critters uh you would die uh they could also they believe they could make you behave criminally or inflict uh inflict diseases upon you uh they lived in sewers and tunnels and abandoned buildings and things of that nature now that's just one vampire i'm telling you it all the whole sewer pipe of a cult comes from babylon this next version of babylon empire these things uruku and the utuku uh they literally means vampire that attacks man Okay, uh, they believe that by simply quote looking into the eyes of an Uruku or Tuku, a human could be injured. That sound familiar? Just like the movie. Don't look at his eyes. His eyes. Oh, right. Babylon, twenty two hundred B.C. Man, nothing new under the sun. Uh, they were said to haunt deserted places such as graveyards, mountains, uh, in the seas. Uh, okay. Then you had a, another out uh, cropping of uh, uh, vampires called the Succubi and the Incubi. That's actually popular in the medieval times. Even modern times, people will talk about these entities. Uh, but technically, this came out of Babylon. These are, uh, according to Babylon, vampires that use sexual seduction to trap their victims and prey on them as they sleep. Uh, they manifest in dreams, they believed. And the reason why it's succubi, incubi, the succubi is supposedly the female version and the incubi is the male version. Uh, but you'll help hear people talk about that. Now, the traditional way that we view uh, vampires drinking blood, 
literally did come from Babylon because that's what these are. They just simply call them the seven demons. The seven demons in the Babylonian religious texts and the incantations uh, uh, share what we think of today as a vampire. The seven demons avoided the temples of the gods and fed on human blood. Okay, so technically... Uh, that's where it really comes from. And then again, back to this uh, critter, the, the Lamish 2. I showed you one earlier, the figurine. Uh, this is more of an amulet, uh, again, that you would suppose you wear to protect you. But this was also uh, uh, supposed to be a female demon that's said to have killed children, drank their blood, and eat the flesh of men and things of that nature, okay? And then, I can't wait to get to this one, Lilith. You might have heard of this. This is from Babylon, Okay, and notice the owls down below. Owls are big in the occult, but again, this is from 2200 BC, roughly around that area. But Lilith is huge in Babylonian, and here's the myth, and it still is perpetrated, uh, perpetrated today, that Lilith was really the first wife of Adam. Kid you not. It's big on, people want to try to justify uh, occult practices and, or discount the Bible's account, say there's really something secret going on and it was really that. And, and, but no, but, but in Babylon legend, uh, this is supposed to be a demon that wandered the earth, okay? But let's dispel this myth that Lilith was Adam's wife, okay? Uh, people still do this today, uh, but according to legends, Lilith was an evil, wicked woman who committed adultery with Satan and produced a race of evil creatures. None of it is true. It's, not, it's just a myth. It's the key word, legend. That's not at all what the scripture says. There's no biblical basis. Now, they're going to try to bring up two different biblical accounts and say, well, this is proof, and it's not. The first thing they do is they point to Isaiah 34, 14, which says, there too Lilith shall repose, right? In one translation. All other translations, not necessarily the best translation, all other translations uh, call it the night creature or the screech owl. So again, that doesn't mean that's the little that they're talking about. Okay, but even if it was, let's say even if it was, okay, it doesn't mean that that was Adam's first wife. In fact, even in that account of Isaiah, in the context, Adam is nowhere even mentioned or hinted. It had nothing to do with the creation account. So you're taking it completely out of context. Then the other one they try to say, well, see, that's why we have two different accounts in the Genesis account, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. They say that Genesis 1 is the account where Lilith was Adam's first wife and Genesis 2 was Eve and that they're two separate accounts. No, they're not. It's the same account. Genesis 1 is an overview of the creation that God was doing Genesis 2 is more of a specific highlight of a a specific time there. It's still the same thing. This gives you an overview. Here's some specifics about that overview. But it's still the same thing. But they want to say, no, it's different because the first version was Lilith. That's that's where, it's, it's ridiculous. But again, I bring that up because people still want to do that. Now, really where Lilith comes in play uh, is twofold. One is witchcraft. Shockers, we saw the history of feminism. Feminism loves this Lilith entity because, again, uh, uh, they believe that Lilith uh, is popular with radical feminists because Lilith was an example of a woman refusing to submit to male headship because that's part of the deal. That's why she couldn't no longer be Adam's wife because she rebelled and what, and so now the feminists pick her up as an icon. Uh, there's actually some witches today, I was reading this today, that believe that Lilith is the protector of witches. 
and things of that nature. But they believed back in Babylon that she could shapeshift this entity and, uh, and, and turn into an owl. And again, owls are still big to this day in the occult, but that's where that comes from and things of that nature. Now, let me give you one more and another vampire. Again, nothing new on the sun. This is from Babylon. The viral lacos, however you pronounce that. But they believed that they were corpses of a person that was possessed by a demon and they rise from their graves at night. Now, what does that sound like? Zombies. Even that, nothing new under the sun. Where's all this stuff come from? Babylon. Babylon's crazy, right? And what they would do is they rise out of the graves, listen to this, and knock on people's front doors calling their names. But in the writings that they've discovered, the Babylonians had figured out a workaround. Watch this. The viral locusts could only call a person's name one time. So many of the Babylonians avoided death by waiting until someone called their name a second time and then they answered the door. Waited for their buddy to show up. Maybe the milkman. Something. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh. So let's continue on. Uh, so anyway, so unlike the stereotypical vampires, the virologues, they don't suck blood, but when they answer the door, they basically you die with a disease. That was what they, they said. But again, I bring all this up because what? Where's all this coming from? Babylon. Nothing new under the sun. How did the occult, let alone witchcraft, permeate our planet? Right here, man. And, I, and again, I'm still blown away. This, this is how long is this? It's only 200 years after God literally wiped the whole planet out. And you're in this kind of rebellion, not just building a tower. You're in this? To this level? Crazy, crazy. Now, uh, real quick, we're gonna get into a couple other things. Again, the practices of witchcraft and the occult are also stemming from Babylon as well. Just real quick, words, Okay, words are huge. We're gonna get into this later. I'm just gonna give you a little overview. Words are big and the uh, certain words have certain power and things that nature. Uh, that's why we said that much of the charismatic movement, the name it and claim it, the words, that, that's actually witchcraft. Okay, but this came from Babylon. Uh, in Babylon, they believed that the name, preferably a secret name of, of God, possessed uh, secret power. Even the syllables uh, could be spoken to evoke power. The names of Ea, E-A, and Merodach were the most frequent ones they used to speak out. Uh, also, they believed that the name of the person uh, against whom the spells were directed was very important. So names were big. You gotta have the right name, name to induce, name to connect. They believed that if they had the name of the person, they had to have the right name of the person, and then they, you could get super duper effects if you can combine the name of the person with like the hair or the nails of the person that represent You put that together and, oh, they're gonna get it now. But names are really huge back then and still today. The name was, they believe, the vehicle of which by which the magician established a link between himself and the victim. Uh, and that they, in fact, to flip it around, the ones that wanted to protect themselves, they would, quote, recite long lists of names of evil spirits and demons, hoping by chance they would light upon this particular one that was causing the malady. Now, what does that sound like? Again, with all due respect, sometimes the charismatic community, well, that's the demon of cancer, the demon of bubblegum, the demon of smoking, the demon of this, and the demon of that. And there's, what are you trying to do? Shooting at the wall, hoping something sticks? That's what they did back in Babylon, right? It's, it's kind of crazy, but names. Now, speaking of names, uh, believe it or not, uh, the origin of abracadabra uh, comes up in the history uh, we think it's just, you know, it's just a little magician thing here in Vegas and whatever. No, it actually was a, an occult word. Uh, they're not really sure where it totally came from, 
the earliest account they believe was back in the Roman times and they used it. As you can see there, uh, they would have it in that triangle form there. Okay, or they would put it on a talisman. You can see a little bit of the abracadabra there on that one they found. And that was supposedly, it's a magic word. Again, words are powerful in the occult, right? And this was supposed to be a powerful occult word that could bring healing and, and, and protection. Uh, the Gnostics used abracadabra uh, to fight against spirits and disease and misfortunes and, and things of that, that nature, okay? But uh, uh, speaking of uh, that, uh, even as recent as uh, in the your, uh, middle uh, uh, European countries, uh, uh, the medieval times, Daniel Defoe wrote dismissively of Londoners who posted abracadabra on their doorways to ward off sickness during the Great Plague of London. Guess what? Didn't work. Because <laughs> none of this stuff works, but that's what they believe, okay? But again, now it's, now it's a word still used today for the incantation of magic. So we might play with that word, uh, but uh, it has some of that connotation to it. But again, that's very, very powerful. Now, let me give you just a little teaser here. Uh, we'll probably deal with this later. Harry Potter. Now, the Aramaic word for abracadabra is the phrase avra kadavra. That's the Aramaic. Now, the Harry Potter series, which everybody says, oh, there's no witchcraft in there. It's okay for your kids. They use, in that series, a spell, and here's the words, the words that you evoke to, quote, it's a killing curse. This is in the Harry Potter series. It's Avada Kedavra. So she just switched a couple letters. But that's the Aramaic of Abracadabra, the occult word. In fact, she even admitted it, J.K. Rowling, and she said it was drawn from an inspiration from this spell, the killing curse from the Aramaic version of it. Okay? But again, as we all know, it's just innocent stuff. It just helps kids read, and kids will never want to become a witch if they get exposed to that. Real quick, watch this. J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, admitted that she got many, many requests for children that wanted to attend Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. And we know from books that are out there and interviews with children that they really wonder at night while they're laying awake if there is a Hogwarts that they can go to. If you go to the Warner Brothers site, they ask you to enlist into Hogwarts. Well, there are sites out there that are pulling in your children who are interested in learning more in various different schools of witchcraft and wizardry.
Very clever is right. Your kid's getting indoctrinated into witchcraft. But don't worry, it has no effect on them. That's why I like that part where the kids, at least the kids admit it. Right? Okay? Now, what I find is very interesting, I was, I was doing the study, going through it again today. Babylon started all this and it permeated the planet 200 years after the flood. And our country, founded in 1776, 200 years later, where are we at from our Christian heritage? Think about that. Before you cap on the Babylonian Empire, only 200 years after God's restart, God started us off with a great nation. What are we doing? It's the exact same time frame. And we're doing the exact same slide just in time for the last days. Real quick, we also see another practices in witchcraft. We're going to get into all these practices, Lord willing, later in greater detail. But even water purification, remember we saw before mirrors, water was big into witchcraft and things of that nature. Uh, cleansing rituals and things of that nature. This started in Babylon. Nothing new under the sun. Uh, also, believe it or not, even uh, the aspect of potions uh, still goes on today. Uh, I had to save it for later, but uh, there's uh, witches are still doing potions today. In fact, they're putting out videos to where we have the convenience, they say, of you don't even have to go outside with your uh, cast iron cauldron and build a fire. You can do that in your stove. Just make sure it's cast iron so it doesn't melt if it's plastic. And, and they're, they're showing you different uh, ones. And I was watching one, unfortunately, just all out there for you to get involved in. Uh, they still do potions today. It's not just some Disney cartoon thing. This is really going on. But again, this was back in Babylon uh, as well. And let me give you a real quick thing. They would, uh, the, the magician in Babylon would have a rather darksome room. The atmosphere was pungent with chemic odors, uh, all kinds of things on the shelves, numerous jars, great and small, containing different compounds in which the practitioner applied uh, for their wares to Witchcraft. So again, even that started way back then. And finally, the magic circle, which is huge in witchcraft. Nothing new under the sun. It came from Babylon. Uh, real quick, the magic circle, the Babylonian sorcerers, they would have many points of resemblance uh, to what they even use today with magic. The Babylonian magician described the circle. It was made with seven little winged figures, which he set before the image of the god Nergal. After doing so, he stated that he covered them with a dark robe, bound them with a colored cord, setting beside them a, some plants, and, uh, and surrounded them and sprinkling lime on the floor. Uh, and, quote, this is from the historians, that, magic, that the magic circle of medieval times must have been evolved from the Babylon uh, peoples is plain from the strong resemblance between the two. So tit for tat, basically everything you see, not only with witchcraft, but just the occult period, all came from Babylon. Shocker, it agrees with the biblical account. What's sad is, in 200 years, they turned to that level of rebellion. Again, in 200 years, you wonder why we're doing this study. Can you believe it? And now they're so-called Christian witches? How far we have fallen. We've rebelled too uh, against God. Lord willing, next time, the next society on the planet as we go through our history of witchcraft, uh, we dealt with the first one, the Tower of Babel. That was the first nation that appeared on the scene and then began to disperse. After the dispersion, the next one that came down the list was Egypt. Egypt was steeped in witchcraft and then eventually we'll get into Greece uh, and uh, has nothing to do with Crisco and uh, Greece or John Travolta 
uh, and then we'll get into the Romans and then we'll probably hop over to the Asian community and then move forward to uh, Western Europe and things of that nature as we finally make it to uh, over here in America. But we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. 
You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And, and we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us, this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay you may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.